pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. All right, everybody say it's not about the nail. <laughs> guys, have you ever tried to fix something that the girls just did not want to be fixed? Am I the only guy that's been guilty of this before? where my wife opens up, she's talking to me, and immediately I'm trying to fix it because I can see the nail, I know exactly what to do, and she's like, don't fix it. Don't fix it, just listen to me. I think it's a classic case of miscommunication. And uh, in my life, I have had tons of miscommunications, misunderstandings, moments where I just had no clue what my wife was trying to tell me, or even before I got married as a single, there would be moments where I had no clue what Ladies wanted what, what they were trying to tell me. Anyone ever been there before? Any other guys ever just been like, what do you want? I cannot read your mind. And uh, I think sometimes we, 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 we put that pressure on each other to try and figure out our needs and our wants uh, without really communicating. And here's the, here's the point of this whole series. Communication is the currency of relationships. If we are going to have good relationships, we're gonna have to have good communication. We're gonna have to learn how to speak each other's love language. I remember going on a mission trip when I was a teenager and it was the turn of the millennium. It was the late 90s going into Y2K and I was so excited we were going to Peru. Um, I had been saving up money to go on this trip and learning Spanish. I was excited to try and use some of the Spanish words I had learned. I bought this paper uh, translation dictionary where it translated Spanish words and English words. And, and it was an old one. You know, this was before phones. Now today, phones, you can actually translate languages on your phone, which is awesome. Back then, we had paper, and uh, I was trying to read through this, and I was going, and I was on the streets of Peru with my missions team from the church, walking down the streets, you know, saying, hola, uh, mi nombre es Banyo, mi need to, no, mi nombre es Pablo, mi need yo Banyo, and uh, I was like trying to speak their language. They're laughing at me like this gringo has no clue what he's doing, and I was hopeless. I was miscommunicating to everybody. But by the end of the trip, I was getting really good at this language, the Spanish language in Peru. And my parents were there doing a crusade. And uh, one of the nights, we were going to do teenagers, have a crusade for these teenagers and speak to them and do a 
concert and minister to them. And so they said, Paul, we want you to do a testimony and just talk about, you know, purity, about singleness. And I was like, okay, I'm excited. And I was thinking, I'm going to, I had an interpreter who's going to translate English to Spanish for me, for them. But I thought, I'm going to really impress these teenagers. In the first two minutes, I'm going to try and speak Spanish to them and try and connect with them without the interpreter. So I walk up on the stage and the interpreter's looking at me. I was like, I got this. You know, I'm pulling out my paper where I'd written down sentences and I'd been working on things that I wanted to say like, hey, you know, my name is Paul Doherty. I'm here and I'm excited to be in your country. I'm excited to be with you. And so the first sentence was good. I said, hola. And they all said, hola. You know, I was like, que pasa. And they were like, que pasa, which means what's up, you know, at least I think. And, uh, <laughs> Then I go, mi nombre es Pablo Dorti, and you know, they're like smiling, like, that's great, we're glad your name's Paul, you know, and so then I was going to say the next sentence, and this was the one that got really messy. I was trying to say, I am very, very excited to be with you tonight. Well, my translation book had different meanings of words that don't translate in other cultures the same way. So I said, yo es muy, muy excitado. Which actually meant, and I didn't know this because everybody started laughing. Pastors started shaking their head, just getting up, walking out of the room like, who's this guest speaker? He's a joke. What is he doing on stage? I was like, what did I say? The interpreter is turning red. He leans over and he goes, you just told them you are really, really sexually excited to be with them tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I was horrified. I turned red. I was like, mom, dad, I didn't mean it. Please, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to go to hell. I mean, I was supposed to be preaching on purity. And I just told them that, you know what I'm saying? I was so horrified. I felt so condemned. And so then, you know, I had been studying how to say embarrassed. And I go, yo, es muy, muy embarazado, which actually means I am very, very pregnant. And so then they started laughing more. And the pastor shaking their heads. I am just digging a hole on stage. For the next 15 minutes, they didn't hear anything I said. They just laughed at the gringo who doesn't know how to speak their language. And it was embarrassing. <laughs> Has anyone ever been misunderstood before in the room? Okay, praise God. I'm in good company. Anyone like just feeling like, I, I have no clue what you're saying. I mean, I, I've been in stores before where they speak another language and they're trying to talk to me and it's broken English. And I'm like, no comprende. I have no clue what you're trying to tell me. It doesn't make sense. But most of the times, my miscommunications and misunderstandings, they don't happen overseas. They don't happen in another country. They don't happen in some other state of the United States of America where the dialect is wild. They happen right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in my own house with my wife. This is where most of my miscommunications and misunderstandings happen. And for most of us in this room, we would all agree that most of the misunderstandings in our life and miscommunications they happen with our closest people around us, with our spouse, with our parents, with our mom, with our dad, with our brother, our sister, our roommate, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, that this is where most of the miscommunications and misunderstandings take place. They happen between us because honestly, we don't know a lot of times what each other are thinking or what we want. Men and women, we have different needs. I mean, in marriage, there's a book called His Needs and Her Needs. And his needs in marriage, it's so, I, I was thinking about preaching a sermon on that, but it would be so short, it would be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. It's one word, guys. 
Ladies, it, we're really simple. In marriage, men only want one thing. And you know what it is. If you don't, just ask your husband. He'll be glad to tell you. Ladies, your needs are different. You have different needs depending on the time of the month, depending what the weather is like, depending what you had for lunch, depending who you talk to. Your needs are constantly different and changing, and that's okay. Don't get mad. Don't hate on the preacher. I'm just speaking truth right now, all right? But I think about, for me, a good date night. Since we've been married, Ashley and I, we kind of try to tell each other in advance what we expect for our date night. And if it's my turn, she already knows. My date night is really simple, never changes, always the same. No matter what the weather's like, no matter what I had for lunch, no matter what the, the, the day of the week it is, my date night is simple. Food, movie, sex. It's all good. That right there is enough. But for Ashley, it's different. And for women, it's different. Guys are like, come on, that's good right there. <laughs> hey, guys, and that's only meant to happen in marriage. But I think about how um, women, you have different needs, and that's okay. God created us uniquely different. Genesis 1, verse 27 says that God created us, male and female, in his image. Reflecting God's nature, he made them male and female. Now, what he's saying here is that God is not just all masculine. God has feminine characteristics too. That God wouldn't have created a woman if he didn't have feminine characteristics to his personality. And so God is complete and whole through men and women. That you and I aren't meant to constantly be misunderstanding each other and constantly be quarreling with each other and constantly feel like we're not speaking the same language, but we're actually meant to, like a puzzle piece, come together and form a beautiful picture of God's amazing love and amazing creation. God wants you and I to speak the same language, to be on the same wavelength, to understand each other's needs. You know, even last night, I had a miscommunication with my wife, a moment where I, I learned something. I came home, and she had cooked these awesome tacos, and, uh, and, and I was like, babe, these are great tacos. She was like, really? Tell me about it. And I was like, okay, you know, I love, the, I love the pulled chicken, and I love the little green things in there, and, you know, the red stuff on there, and the seasoning, amazing tacos. And she was like, that's so good. Paul, tell me. How would you rate my tacos? I really want an honest opinion. Now, this is a trap, guys. This is all a trap. I didn't realize it, but I was headed into a setup here. I said, what do you mean rate them? She's like, I want your honest opinion. How do you rate my tacos? And so I was like, you know, I mean, we've had a lot of good tacos in our life. I was like, you know, my mom's made some great tacos. We've eaten at some restaurants where some good tacos, and she's kind of watching me, just looking at me. She's like, really? You're going to compare my tacos to the tacos on the restaurants? And it was a moment where I, I learned that I should have held my tongue. I should have just talked about how great her tacos were amazing. In that moment, we had to apologize and pray and forgive each other because there was, there was that feeling of like, do you not like, are you not grateful for my tacos? I was like, I'm so grateful for your tacos. Has you ever been there before? Am I the only guy? Don't leave me on the island right now. Come on. We've said things before, and even last night with my own mom, this doesn't just happen with husbands and wives. With my mom, I had a miscommunication. Right before I'm going up to preach at Saturday night service, she leans over and hands me this note. She says, it's about the lights. 
Now, there have been times in the past where I would be handed a note and it was a complaint about something, a complaint about the lights, a complaint about music, a complaint about whatever. And I was like, Mom, why are you handing me a complaint right before I'm about to go up and preach? Couldn't you give it to me after the sermon? And, and I realized in that moment, she was like, Paul, it was a compliment, not a complaint. She was like, it was actually someone who wants to pay for the lights in Africa. And it was a classic case of miscommunication. That in that moment, I was like, I'm so sorry, because I was kind of rude to my mom in that moment. And I realized that a lot of times we have miscommunications, not just between male and female, but just with each other, because we're all going through stuff. And depending what we experienced that day, just the, the right word can either make us feel amazing or make us feel totally miserable. And so we have to learn how to read each other's language, how to speak each other's love language, and how to help each other and lift each other up. And so if we're going to speak the language of love, we need to learn the original person who made this language. Love began before any other language. It's older than Hebrew. It's older than Greek, older than Aramaic, definitely older than English. Love began in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1, God created male and female, and he breathed life into existence. He breathed love into existence. This was the beginning of time. God had man and woman all to himself. In this garden, there was fellowship. There was intimacy. This is where love begins, right? We cannot have humane love if we don't understand divine love. Divine love comes first. It's not human love that allows us to have divine love. It's divine love that enables us to have human love. That God's love coming down to us. And this is what happened in the garden. Adam and God had this relationship. It was intimate. There was no shame, no fear, no second guessing if God loves me. It was pure. It was a pure language of love. But what happened in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, they, they, they grew in love and they were listening to God and they were believing this truth that God said, I'm enough, you're enough, this is enough, this is, you can be happy just the way you are, you can be fulfilled just the way you are. But what happened next, I think is the leading cause for divorce, the leading cause for separation, for splits, for all the things that happen, all the messy heartache that we have in our world. It's that we exchange the truth of God for a lie from the enemy. The devil came in like a serpent and began to whisper this lie to Eve. It's not enough. You're not enough. God's not enough. He's not enough. Until you have this, then you'll feel happy. Then you'll be fulfilled. Then you'll finally be complete. And our world tries to define love. Right? They say, let's make love, or you complete me, or as long as I have her or him, then we feel love. But completion is not in a man. It's not in a woman. And, and, and making love is really just inner, intercourse. It's really not love until we first receive love from God. This is where real love begins. He's the one who defines love, not the world. But in that moment, Adam and Eve, they lost communion with God. When they took the lie, they took the apple and they ate it. They stopped believing the truth. And in that moment, the garden was closed. They were expelled from the garden. The utopia, the place where pure love began, the place where a pure loving relationship between husband and wife and God, that was the foundation. It was destroyed by their sin. 
And I'm gonna come back to that in a moment, but I want you to think about what does the language of love practically look like? If I have to receive God's love in order to give God's love to my family members, to my spouse, to my coworkers, to my roommates, for the singles in the room, if I have to receive God's love before I can actually experience that love between me and another person, how do I do that? And how do I let that overflow into my relationships? How am I supposed to practically walk that out? I think it's a good question to think about. And I think we need to really think about this, that what does love look like? What does love look like in action? Not just saying I love you, but what does it really look like? If God is love, like John the Beloved said, 1 John 4, 8, let's look at that scripture again. It says that God is love. When you don't love, you don't know God. So what does love look like? Well, John 1 said that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. So if we want to know what love looks like, then we look at the life of Jesus. We look at the way he treated others. We look at the way that he spoke to others. We look at the way he served others. We look at the way that he spent time with people. That's how we define what love is. There was a marriage counselor who was sitting down with all these couples and couples ranging from all ages. Some couples were married, some just living together, not married yet. He ended up speaking even to families. It wasn't just couples. It was speaking to a father and a broken relationship with his daughter. And he said, with each person that I counseled, year after year, I started noticing a cycle. They were all saying the same thing. He doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. He won't listen to me. They don't really care about me. They're not really interested in my needs. They're only interested in their needs. And he started circling those things and then he dug a little deeper. Why don't you feel like he listens to you? Why don't you feel like she loves you? And they began to outline these five areas that define the language of love. Five things. And so he wrote a book called The the five love languages. And today I wanna to just give you some practical tools on how we can love each other this week. This is Valentine's week, tonight is Super Bowl night, and I think that there's some ways this week we can apply this message in our relationships and see the fruit that God wants us to see in our marriage, in our family, as singles, that God wants you this week walking in that language of love. So the first one he gives us is a one called words of affirmation. This is one of the first ways that we communicate love is through words of affirmation. Mark Twain said, I can live on a good compliment for two months. I can live for two months on a good compliment, which means all it takes is six compliments to keep Mark Twain alive for a year. <laughs> that he can live off of one good compliment for two months. How many of you guys, this is your love language? Words of affirmation. This is my love language. I mean, this is my top one. Ashley knows it, that I love hearing that affirmation that Ashley will speak to me. And it, and it means something when it's, when it's actually true, when someone's not just you know, being flattering, but they're actually speaking truth to you and they're affirming you, saying, hey, you're doing a good job. I appreciate you. Just words of affirmation don't even have to be like encouragement. Sometimes it's just appreciation, just saying thank you. Thank you, honey, for cooking me a good meal. Thank you, babe, for being so sweet and doing a great job. And when we show appreciation and then encouragement, and it's true, it can go a long way with somebody. Here's the other great thing about words of affirmation. It's free. This week, you can give somebody love for free. You don't have to buy them a gift. You don't have to send them to the Super Bowl. You don't have to get them flowers. You can show love right here. Now, don't take that as a cop-out, husbands, to not get your wife flowers but you can show love by giving words of affirmation. Just saying, I love you. I had a coach in my life who 
um, would constantly dog me. He was always putting me down. He was like, my grandma runs faster than you. And I was like, come on, man. Even if that's true, don't say that. <laughs> come on, man. I'm trying hard, you know, and I would get frustrated and I would actually play worse. He thought he was motivating me. He wasn't. He was making me play worse. I was so afraid of messing up in front of this coach. And he had a son who was gunning for my position. So I think he was trying to get in my head. But I had another coach in a different sport who would speak words of affirmation. Man, he'd say, Paul, you're doing a great job. Even when I messed up, when I missed the basket, he was encouraging. He was, he was such a, an encourager. He was lifting others up. And that coach, I ended up playing better because of his encouragement. And, and when I was doing my worst, I would end up turning around and playing better because he was speaking words of affirmation. Jesus was the king at this, right? Jesus affirmed Peter even after Peter messed up. Jesus affirmed the prostitute even when she was caught in sin. Religious people have a hard time with affirmation because we think they only deserve affirmation when they've done a good job. Jesus gives affirmation even when people are the ugliest, the most disgusting. When Zacchaeus had cheated everybody out of money, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. You're a good man, I wanna eat next to you. What was he doing? He was affirming Zacchaeus even in his mess. And I think a lot of us, we need to get this language of love that Jesus ultimately is our model example at how to love one another. That we don't just do it when they deserve it, but we do it even when they least deserve it. And pride often holds us back. Pride, I think, is the enemy of all five love languages I'm gonna share. Pride waits, but love initiates. Pride waits for you to come and affirm me, but love initiates, I'm gonna affirm you whether you say anything nice to me. I'm gonna come up to you and I'm gonna encourage you whether you encourage me back. I'm gonna give you words of affirmation with no strings attached. See, pride holds back, but love initiates forward. There was a, a marriage, Bob and Susan, and, and they were struggling in their marriage. Susan was constantly nagging Bob, saying, Bob, you never, you never listen to me. You won't paint the bedroom. I've been telling you for two months now to paint the bedroom. Bob would just roll his eyes. You just nag all the time, Susan. That's all you do is constantly complain. Susan would put him down, and she'd be frustrated. Finally, she went to a marriage counselor and she said, what am I supposed to do with my husband? He won't listen to me. He won't help me. I keep asking him to paint the bedroom. He won't do it. He works in his garage. He works on his motorcycle. He works on his cars. He's a painter. For God's sake, can't he paint the bedroom? And the marriage counselor looked at her and he said, listen, Susan, here's the key to speaking the language of love to Bob. If you'll start seeing the good that he does, instead of always noticing the bad that he does, if you'll start complimenting him instead of complaining about him, and don't even mention the bedroom. I want you, don't even mention it. You've already said it multiple times. He knows it. Don't even say it. He said, I promise you, if you'll affirm him, that bedroom will be painted faster than you realize. And so she went home. She applied it. She was mad at the counselor. She was like, you're on Bob's team. I know you are. So she went home and she started affirming Bob. The counselor didn't see Susan for a long time, but she came back a few months later. She said, you wouldn't believe what happened. I went home and I applied what you said. I started speaking words of affirmation over Bob. I didn't even mention the bedroom. Within a week, Bob painted the bedroom. She was like, I didn't realize that all I had to do was turn the corner and start speaking words of affirmation. Number two is this, quality time. Quality time. 
Now this is, some, some of you in this room, this is your top love language. While I'm sharing these, I want you to think what your top love language is. Even if you're single, I want you to think about what it is. What makes you feel the most valuable, the most loved? I think this might be my grandma's top love language. Uh, I could speak all the affirming words I could to my grandma, but if I don't take her to lunch, it doesn't mean anything, right? She wants quality time with her grandson, undivided attention, not me multitasking, working, and, and being on my phone, but my attention there. And There's some grandmas in the room that are going, hello, amen, I'm buying this CD for my grandson. He better come visit me this year, right? But this is, this is what speaks a lot of people's love language. It's just being with someone and really being there, not just being in the room, but on your phone, but being next to them, looking them in the eyes, giving them some eye contact, like you are valuable. Some of you guys are doing this for me right now, and I feel so loved. Thank you for your undivided attention. Thank you for your quality time with me today. And I wanna encourage you, take what you're doing in the service and take it home with you. Tonight, tomorrow, give some quality time. You know, this isn't just something we do for our spouse. This is something I do with the closest people that God's called me to work alongside with in the ministry. That each week I make sure I carve out time to just have quality time with my brother John, with my brother AJ. That I spend quality time as much as I can with each person on staff that God wants me to be developing and, and working together that we can do what he's called us to do. This isn't just something for marriages. I'm telling you in your family, in your workplace, if you will be intentional about spending quality time with someone, putting the phone down, not just putting the, the mute button on the TV, this is where I get in trouble with my wife. She'll say, Paul, can we talk? I'll say, sure, and I'll hit the mute button, but out of the corner of my eye, I'm looking at that football screen. I'm like, nice, you know? Or I'm watching the Republican debate over to my left, the Democratic debate. I'm trying to figure out what the highlights, what are they saying, you know? And Ashley's like, you're not listening to me. She's right, I need to turn the TV off. I need to really focus and pay attention and look my wife in the eyes. It means something to someone. When I'm with my grandma, spending that time, we can never hear this enough. Some of us in this room, we've read the book, we've heard it, but every year we need to review this because this is what makes our love come alive. And Jesus was amazing at this right here. Quality time, are you kidding me? This was one of Jesus's special love languages. He would take his disciples and he'd say, come on, Peter, James, John, let's go to the lake. Let's get on the boat. Let's go to the Galilee. Come on, let's get away from the crowd. Let's spend some time together. Can you imagine being Peter, James, or John and going, are you kidding me? A whole day with Jesus without the crowds of people? Yes! You know, they were stoked to spend quality time with the Savior of the world. Jesus modeled this for fathers. I think one of the best things we can do as parents is just quality time with our kids. Quality time where we turn the TV off or we turn the, the phone off, we put the newspaper down, we put the book down. We just look at our kids and spend time together. My dad used to do this with our family. He said, we're just gonna look at each other. We're like, that's really weird, Dad. He'd be like, no, let's just hang out together and whatever comes to our minds, we'll talk about, we'll do, but let's just be together. Let's put our phones to the side. For some of us in this room, this is such a tough message to hear, and I understand. Last night, I spoke with someone after the message, just in tears, saying, Pastor, you don't understand. I have no one in my life to show me these love languages. I have no one. My husband left me. 
My kids moved out. I, I have no one. How am I supposed to operate? How am I supposed to even enjoy this series and apply this to my life when I don't have someone to share it with? And here's what I want to challenge all of us with today. That we wouldn't just listen to this message with this filter of who's going to do this for me. But we would listen to this message with this thought, who can I do this for? How can I show someone in my life? I think when we go through painful situations and experiences, whether it be divorce, someone who's cheated on you, an abusive father, someone who is constantly nagging you and putting you down, and you've walked through the pain and the experience of just a hurt relationship, it can cause us to become so introspective, and, or not introspective, but so us-focused that we think, who's going to do this for me? But we've got to get past that and say, you know what? Pride waits, but love initiates. Who can I do this for this week? Who can I call up and encourage? Who can I go spend some time with? Ash and I have been talking about what we might do for Valentine's, not just for our date night, but what we could do for others. Maybe go to cancer treatment center and just bring some flowers to some patients in the hospital and say, happy Valentine's. We love you. We're praying for you. See, when we're thinking of others beyond ourselves, we never run out of love. But it begins by first receiving God's love for us. Number three, acts of service. Oh, number three, receiving gifts. Sorry, receiving gifts. And band, I want you to come up. But receiving gifts, this is huge for some of you in the room. You love to receive a gift. When someone gives you a gift, whether it be chocolates, a t-shirt, a hat, flowers, this isn't just girls, this is guys too. Some of you guys, man, you feel celebrated when you get a good gift, a thoughtful gift. And I think that's the key. Not just some random gift, but some gift that speaks that love language. I've been thinking about you. I've been listening to you. I heard what you like. I heard what makes you happy. I know you like this store. And some of us in this room, we think, Paul, I don't have the money to buy gifts. I've been there before, even last year. Ash and I had a tight time last year, right around a holiday that meant a lot to Ashley. And uh, we were paying all the bills, had no money to buy gifts that week. And so I was trying to think, what am I gonna do for Ashley on this holiday? I really wanna do something nice for her, but I don't have the money to do it. And so I went and I, I, I spent time writing cards and IOUs and... <laughs> Here's what I wrote down on one of my foot. I owe you a free back massage, no strings attached. I'm not that good at back massages, but the fact that I said I'll do it for you and you don't have to do it back for me, that meant a lot to her. Then I wrote another one. I owe you a free night where I'll babysit the kids and you can go have a girl's night out. She was like, Paul, you're their dad. It's not babysitting if you're their dad. I was like, okay, I'll still babysit the kids. You have a girl's night out. <laughs> I wrote down more IOUs, and each one, you know, I could just see it in her face. She was like, thank you. This means a lot. <laughs> this means a lot. This means a lot that you took the time to think about what gift, you know, might make me happy. And uh, I want to encourage you to think about that this week. I'm setting you guys up for, for success if you take this message seriously, because next Sunday is Valentine's Day. And so a practical gift you could get is some flowers for your lady, or if you're single, Get a flower for your mom. Get a flower for your sister. Get some flowers for some friends of yours that are ladies, that we would do this for each other. John said the greatest way that we can show love is that we would serve one another the way that Jesus has served us. Jesus was incredible at gift giving. 
I mean, he was the guy who, he received gifts, which that's a tough one for some of us because we feel like, I can't receive this. I can't let you bless me. But even Jesus allowed people to bless him. The woman with the expensive perfume, Jesus received it. He received her love, which meant so much to her. But then Jesus would give gifts too. He'd say, Peter, you need help with taxes this year? I'll take care of it. There's a coin in the fish's mouth. You need help with food? I'm gonna buy everybody's meal today. Bless thousands of people with their meal. By the way, last week, someone in the 11 a.m. service in one of these sections took everyone to Mazio's and paid for their meal. How amazing is that? Victory, you are incredible. Right here in service, someone, I don't know who you are, but you took several people from church over to Mazio's. I think it was 40 people and bought them pizza. I was like, wow, this church is generous. Y'all are like, who is he? I want to go. Let's go today. <laughs> but the point is that we wouldn't just be looking on the take, but we were looking for the give, looking for the ways that we could bless other people with love this week. Give them a gift. Sometimes our gifts are just being there for someone in their time of crisis. I'll never forget how much it meant to this one friend of mine that I came to his family member's funeral that I actually left church early. I was preaching that night, but I decided I was gonna cut my sermon short and let the band lead worship so I could go and attend his family member's funeral to just let him know I loved him. He was overwhelmed. He said, are you kidding me? He's like, you, you left service to come to my funeral? And I can't do that for everyone, but I was able to do that for him. And it meant so much to him. Sometimes the gift is not just a, a financial gift. It's not just, you know, a gift of IOUs, it's a gift of your time. Maybe on Mother's Day, that you would be with your mom. Father's Day, the gift of encouraging your dad, the gift of being there for your dad. Maybe you're saying, but Paul, they've hurt me, they've let me down, they've abused me, they've said mean things to me. Here's where Jesus' love changes everything. It allows us to love the people that we would rather hate. It allows us to forgive the people that we would rather hold bitterness towards your ex, whoever it is in your life, that you would allow the love of God to just wash your mind. Number four is this, acts of service. Jesus, like I said, each one of these, Jesus is the top model. In John 13, he got down and he washed his disciples' feet, cleaning the mud out from their, their toes, right? I mean, he was preparing them for dinner. This was such a servant-hearted thing that he would wash their feet. How do we show acts of service? Washing the dishes? Maybe today at lunch, what would speak that love language to your mom is that you would stay a little bit later, wash the dishes, help pick up around the house. I asked my mom, what is her top love language? She's really good at this. She says, I love being able to serve people whenever I can. When I go and visit Sarah and Caleb or Ruthie and Adam, being able to help them around the house, help them with the kids, help them with the bushes in the backyard. My mom is great at trimming bushes and making backyards look awesome. She's got that landscape mentality and she's able to see what it needs to be. And, but acts of service are awesome, so awesome. Ashley and I have been so blessed by some of the people in this church who've given these acts of service to us, whether it's helping babysit the kids or doing things for us they didn't have to do and saying, hey, no strings attached. We just wanna help you. We wanna bless you. We know you're busy and here's some help. Acts of service. This week, be looking. Who could you give an act of service to? It could speak the language of love to them. Number five, physical touch. Now, I'm not talking about sexual touch. I'm talking about, because some of the guys are like, yeah, that's my love language. I used to have this guy come up behind me sometimes and slap me hard on the back. How you doing, buddy, old pal? 
That was not loving. I did not like that. Afterwards, <laughs> I was trying to recover from that. But it's that soft, gentle touch. And this isn't just, don't take it wrong here. This isn't just between a husband and wife. It's a mother and son, father and daughter, just walking up and hugging your daughter, holding their hand. My mom used to kiss me and John on the cheek. Sometimes she still does. My sisters used to do this when we were younger. Come up, kiss us on the cheek, hug us in front of our friends. Look at all the other girls and say, this is my little brother. If you wanna, if you like him, you better come and talk to me, right? Ruthie and Sarah would do this. And it was that love language, just looking out for each other. I have had friends in my life, guys, who'd come up and just give me a hug. We had handshakes we would do that just meant, I've got your back, I'm with you, man. We'd grab hands and I love you, brother. You know, <laughs> but it was that right there that just, it meant something. When my father passed, I remember one of my close friends coming and it was amazing to have my wife there beside me, but one of my close friends, this guy came up to me and just sat beside me, put his arm around my shoulder. He's like, hey, I'm here for you. Physical touch is so important in communicating love to one another. But sometimes it's hard when we've had an abusive person in our life, someone who hurts you, or maybe a father who never showed affection. It's hard to do something that wasn't modeled for you. It's hard to figure out how am I supposed to hug my daughter when my dad never hugged me? How am I supposed to hug my son when my father never hugged me? How am I supposed to speak words of affirmation when my mother constantly put me down? How am I supposed to do this? And here's what I wanna bring it back to. We have to go back to the original love creator. We have to go back to where the language began. It didn't begin with people. It didn't begin with husbands and wives and moms and dads and sons and daughters. It began in a pure form in the garden with God. He is love. John said it, God is love. He who does not love does not truly know God. If we're gonna operate in these five love languages, we have to get to know the language creator himself, God. And you say, but Paul, I thought the garden was closed. I thought we can't go back there where the pure language is. Zephaniah 3.9, a prophet in the Bible. He said this in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will restore to the peoples, this was God speaking, a pure language that they may all call on the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. What was the prophet saying? He is saying there was, there's coming a day where God will restore what was broken in Eden. God will open up the access again. The garden will open again. I'll never forget as a kid when they closed up one of my favorite theme parks. I was so bummed. I loved going to this theme park. Our family would go there often. And they closed it, they shut the doors, it was done. But the day came where someone bought that theme park out and turned it around down in Texas. And they renamed it. And they opened it up again. And when we went back, it was so much better than it was before. And I think this was God's original plan with the garden anyways, is that God would restore what was broken. He would send a second Adam. Romans chapter five says, what Adam couldn't do and what Adam messed up, Jesus came as the second Adam to undo everything Adam did and to do everything Adam couldn't do, to finish the product and he's opened the garden again. What is the garden? It is free access to the love of Papa, to the love of God as Father that supersedes whatever you've walked through, whatever you've been through. How do we practically understand this? The only way I can explain it is through a story. There was a girl I knew in college named Jamie. 
She came to ORU with a lot of hurt and pain. When she came here, her father had walked out on her family just five years prior when she was 14 years old. Her dad left her and her little brother and her mom, and he married another woman that he had been cheating on while he was still married to his wife. He left them, he married this other woman, he started a new family. She had kids, then they had kids of their own. He told his daughter, Jamie, and her brother, I don't wanna have anything to do with you anymore. I have my own new family now. I have other kids. I, I won't be coming to your birthdays. I don't wanna see you anymore. She was heartbroken, rejected, angry at her father, angry at all men. She couldn't trust any guys. She gained 100 pounds because of the depression and the rejection. She turned to eating and she just felt so hateful and she was self-hatred and, and she was constantly thinking about suicide. She came to ORU. Her mom wanted her to go to a Christian college. Her and her brother came to ORU. While they were there, they began to hear about the love of God. She started coming to victory. She was in my class. I remember her coming and oftentimes coming down to the altar, just trying to get her mind renewed, trying to believe this thought that God is enough, that God's love is better than what her father has let her down in and how her father's not been there for her. And so she would come down and my dad would pray for her. Friends would pray for her. And she started writing letters to her dad. She thought, you know what? Maybe my, my way of of breaking free of this self-hatred, of this feeling of rejection, of this feeling like I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. Maybe it's through writing letters to my dad, just saying I forgive you. So she began writing letters, one after another, dozens of letters, writing to her dad. Never got a reply back. She would write to him, Dad, I just want you to know I forgive you. I forgive you that you didn't come to my graduation. You weren't there for my 16th birthday. You weren't there for me. You didn't help me. You, you, you stopped helping us and her and her mom and brother had to move into a single bedroom apartment. They were living in a house that he had built and then once he left, they had to move into the single bedroom apartment, barely scraping by to get it. She was in so much debt when she came to ORU, didn't have any scholarship. There was no uh, student, uh, there was nothing to help her. So she was in so much debt, but she began to write these letters. One day she got an envelope with all the letters back. And her dad put in that envelope with every single letter, dozens of letters. He said, Jamie, I don't wanna hear from you again. Don't ever write me again. I have my own family. I have my own daughter. You're not my child. Totally disowned her. She was heartbroken. Are you kidding me? She was thinking, God, what is this? I thought I was supposed to be healed. I thought I was supposed to be restored. I thought I was supposed to experience this freedom and this forgiveness and this love. What happened? And so she took all the letters and all the tears and she went to the garden. She went to the chapel at ORU where she poured out her heart to God in tears. She just began to cry, God, I don't understand. I need you to be my father because I sure don't have one here on earth. God, I need your help because I am so hurting. I am so rejected. She began to cry out to God, laid every letter out. She said, God, you see my pain. You see my rejection. You see my hurt. And there's a wife in the room today who's been hurt. There's a husband in the room today who's been hurt. There's a family in the room today who's been hurt. There's a single in the room today who's been hurt. And I'm telling you, the only cure to your pain is by going back to the garden, going to the place where healing happens. This is where Jesus went before he went to the cross. He went to the garden. And in the garden, Jesus said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. 
And it was in that place that Jesus received the strength to go to the cross. And he opened once and for all access back to the garden, that place where we could experience the pure language of love, that pure forgiveness, that pure restoration, that understanding that Father God is more than enough. He's for me. He's not against me. He loves me on Monday as much as he loves me on Sunday. He loves me on the good days and he loves me on the bad days. He loves me when I'm ugly and he loves me when I'm disgusting and he loves me when I succeed and he loves me when I fail. There's nothing that could separate you from the love of God. And as Jamie started pouring it out, healing started happening. She started feeling restored. A change happened. She let go of the approval addiction of her earthly father. She was able to truly forgive him and move on with her life. She started losing weight. She started uh, feeling happy again. She started feeling successful again. She started finding purpose again. She got a job, a great job. She graduated from college, still in all this debt. And one day she got a phone call from ORU just a few years ago. They said, Jamie, we want you to know that an anonymous donor has paid off all your student loans, $100,000. She said, you are now totally debt-free from all of your college loans. She still to this day has no clue who did it, but I have a little guess. I think Papa God in heaven was watching out for Jamie. And I think today, if you'll stand to your feet all over this room, God wants to bring healing to you. He wants to bring love to you. He wants to empower you to love your spouse, to love your family, to love yourself, to love your friends, to love your coworkers as he has loved you. The only way that we can love others and really practice those five languages of love is when we truly believe God loves me. He's empowering me not to sit back and wait in pride, but to initiate these words of love, this time of love, this forgiveness, this patience with every head bowed and every eye closed today. Maybe you're here and you feel rejected. Maybe you feel unvaluable. Maybe you feel like there's not someone in your life that's shown you that love that you were listening to today. And yet you understand the challenge is now You've got to show that kind of love to someone else. But the truth is, you don't know how you're going to do it because there's pain inside your heart. Maybe there's hurt inside your head. Maybe there's torment in your life. And all over this room, I want to invite you to the great physician. The healer is in the house. The garden is open again. His love and his mercy are here. All over this place, if you say, Paul, I need transformation. I've known about God's love. I've had the information, but I need a revelation. I need to switch from just knowing about it to truly believing it, experiencing it. So I don't keep going through these cycles of, of hurt and rejection and self-hatred and pain and strife with my husband and strife with my wife. I need today to come back to the garden, to that place of surrender where I truly receive and believe in the love of the Father, the love of God all over this room, young or old. If God is drawing your heart, I want you to lift your hand. You're saying, that's me, Paul. I need to surrender today. I need healing in my heart. I need healing in relationships. Yes, 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 yes. Today, you're saying, Paul, I need freedom from torment. I need freedom from self-hatred. I need freedom from condemnation. Today, I need to forgive my dad. I need to forgive my husband. I need to forgive my ex. I need to forgive my wife. Today, if God's drawing your heart, tugging you to say, this is your day to stop holding back 
to stop waiting for that perfect moment where someone's gonna come in and fix it all. This is the day. The great physician is the only one who can fix it. And he's here, he's in the house. God himself, his presence. Secondly, if you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I've been backsliding, I've been doing things I shouldn't do. I've been thinking thoughts I shouldn't be thinking. I've been saying things I shouldn't be saying. The language of love is not real in my life because I haven't let Jesus be Lord of my life. Maybe he was at one point, but he's not right now. And today you're saying, I need to surrender to Jesus Christ, to let him be Lord of my life. If that's you, lift your hand up across this room. Awesome, awesome, awesome. One of the greatest decisions you can make. Every hand that's been raised and any person today who says, we need to go to that altar. I want you to step out from your seat and meet us down here at the altar. Just make a bold step like this man and just come down to the altar today to say, I'm coming back to the garden. I'm coming back to the place of surrender. I'm going to find my identity in Christ. I'm going to find my approval in God. I'm going to find my affirmation in God first. I'm going to feel that love from God so that I could show that love to those around me. Let's worship God all over this room. Let's just take a moment to sing to the Lord.